1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. We are in San Pedro Sula. Paul, that was wild. Yeah. I mean,
2: what an experience that was, right? I, it was like emotionally taxing. It was fun. It was, you know, there were some nerve-wracking moments there. The first half felt perilous both because of the u.s performance and because of our pre-game meal i mean it was <laughs> altogether an experience
1: it sure was um the u.s men's national team after a window in a wild week that was a bit um turbulent to say the least uh lacking performance in a 0-0 draw at el salvador last thursday flat effort really disappointing result in a one-to-one home draw against canada on Sunday in Nashville, and then the drama of the suspension turned dismissal of Weston McKenney for a violation of team rules. you know they come out in the first half of this game and get walloped, just absolutely crushed just really just a pitiful pitiful performance wasn't pretty. pitiful wasn't pretty. awful, but they respond. It felt like they were kind of teetering on the brink, and this could have gone really, really f- sour. Um, but after the break, they came out, they changed some things. There were some substitutions made and they, they equalized a few minutes into the second half, took the lead about a half hour later, and then scored two goals late to register a four, one win. And here we are, Paul, three games in to qualifying the U S national team, despite all of the angst, um, despite all of the criticism, a, a good amount of which has come from this very podcast. Um, is on five points is in a three-way tie for second in the octagonal and heads into the next round of qualifying in October. Those three matches in a pretty damn good place. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna keep this show pretty tight. We're going to try to, it two thirty in the morning here in Honduras. <laughs> so, um, we both have early flights in the morning, so we don't have, a, we don't have a ton of time, but we're going to break down the game. We're going to break down this window, and we're going to look ahead a little bit towards the next one. So, what better place to start? We've sort of we've talked a lot about, a bit about it already. That was a mouthful. Let's start with tonight, you know. Um we mentioned it already. The first half was a mess and the lineup was confusing. So let's start there. Let's start with the lineup. There was a lot of rotation. Paul, what did you think when you saw it? Walk us through who was in it and what the formation looked like.
2: Yeah, I think when I saw the lineup I thought, well first of all there were a lot of surprises in the in the in the lineup it wasn't like it was a you know completely expected team regardless excuse me regardless of formation, right? Like it was definitely filled with some new faces. Um so I I first was like, okay, Greg Berhalter is trusting some kids here, you know. He's trusting Ricardo Pepe. He's trusting James Sands. He's trusting George Bello. all guys who had yet to play in this window. That stood out to me. And then the second thing is you and I were sitting there in the press box. We were looking at the lineup and we were saying, okay, you know, we both thought it was going to be a three, four, two, one in this game. And we were like, yeah, we can see this being a three, four, two, one that we are okay with. We could see. You know, the
1: more idea. of a more of a three four one two, a three five two. When the when the eleven came out,
2: well, I yeah, I mean, I guess once it came out, you could kind of see it that way. I I, I could have yeah, with with Sergeant playing up top, but either way, we didn't see it as a three four three, and that's kind of what no. went wrong, right? I mean, that's I don't where, think many
1: people, I don't think many people did.
2: Yeah, and so the game when when they lined up when they came out right, and then when they came out to, to start the game, I looked at it and I was like, okay. I don't like this. <laughs> That's kind of what went through my head. I didn't like Tyler Adams at right back. I didn't like, you know, the idea of a 3-4-3 with, with Josh Sargent as a winger. I, I felt like that was lacking. That was going to be lacking. I, I've been out on Josh Sargent this whole window. He's going to have to, I don't know what he's going to have to do to kind of win his way back into my heart, right? My belief that he can, that he can <laughs> impact the game but I certainly didn't like him as a winger. And so, you know, I was concerned. However, before we go into the first half, I will say, Sam, I thought Sands was going to be just fine, and he was not just fine. And that really impacted the first half too.
1: It really did. Um, I echoed everything you said about the formation. You know, it's what we were talking about at the stadium, in the press box. And, Paul, I remember turning to you and just being like, this midfield is not, it can't be it. Like, Sands and Acosta cannot be it. I don't understand. I, st- I I will never understand why he started Adams, who's the best midfielder on the team, at right wing back. I don't get it. I know, you know, he said after the game, Berhalter said after the game that DeAndre Edlin, they didn't feel like he could start because he had logged a bunch of minutes and, you know, a lot of travel, all that. Fine, that's totally cool. Kellen Acosta can play out there. Maybe he's not as good in that role as Tyler Adams, who has spent a lot of time there for Leipzig over the last couple of years. But that doesn't matter. You can't afford to lose Adams in the midfield. And we saw that manifest itself in a huge way in the first half when there were giant gaps. We're talking like 30-yard gaps, like time after time after time between Sands and Acosta in the forward line. And Honduras would turn the u.s over and they would have a ton of space to just kind of stroll into in midfield and and uh, it was just the shape of it the structure of it was was a mess the execution was lacking um and i mean frankly paul like we were sitting up there at halftime and we're like what just happened that was a train that was a train wreck
2: well let's let's give some of the explanations that greg berhalter had for those choices um before we kind of go further into what we think about those. First, he said yeah. with Tyler Adams playing right back, yes, he alluded or actually he referenced specifically how much Tyler Adams had played as a right wing back with Red Bull Leipzig. They felt very confident and comfortable with him in that position. He felt confident and comfortable in that position. They also felt that Honduras played very narrow defensively um, and that would allow the wing backs to get into space and to be effective. And so he thought, I'm guessing then by the fact that he said that, that he felt like that would give Tyler Adams a bigger role on the attacking end of the field. Um, so that was kind of one like idea a, it's behind. It's a real overthinking there. Well, that was one idea behind Tyler Adams. The other thing that I thought was really important when we talk about the spacing between the back line and the midfield and frankly also the midfield and the attacking line because there were spacing issues on, on both ends. Um, mm-hmm. One thing he alluded to was the fact that the, the back line was not pushing up fast enough. They weren't condensing the field, and then they got stretched. Essentially, the 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 field was made really big by Honduras, and that created those big pockets of space. And you saw that everywhere. You saw it when the when the Hondurans picked up the ball defensively and were able to drive forward into space. You saw it when the U.S. kind of panicked or when they had to clear the ball or hit a goal kick, and you know the Hondurans would win the header, um, and and with no one really around them were. Or even they'd pick up the second ball after a header and they'd be able to drive the ball forward. It was just, it was way too spread out. It was way too thin. In the U.S. only had two central midfielders and they weren't able to control the game at all. And so things felt like exactly that. They felt like the U.S. had no grip on the game for the entire first half. It was It was probably the worst. No, not probably. It was the worst performance I have witnessed in person. Of this U.S. men's national team. I saw, and, and I'll include that very first, Canada, um, very first USA Mexico game that I was at, um, that I thought was a really poor performance because here we are. And that's in back this, in, just sorry, Bo, yeah, that was back wait, in
1: 2019 after the Gold Cup final. They played a friendly Mexico 1 3 nothing, in, at Menlife Stadium.
2: Yeah. And I, I just felt like even though that was like so bad, I, I thought there was like a purpose there and I thought, you know, I could see why things went badly. And it was like, it wasn't, it was like technical issues that were the problem there. And this one, it felt everything was off. Yeah. The team understanding was off. The emotion was off. They never had the ball. They never had control. It, you know, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, but I do agree with another thing Greg Berhalter said at the beginning, which is at first I thought to myself, look, this is bad so far, but like, Honduras has not looked that threatening. And I think the U.S. is going to be fine right. defensively. They've got to make some right. changes at halftime. But, like, this Honduran team does not look like it can do anything to really hurt the U.S. And, in fact, you, shortly after I was thinking that, turned to me and you said, you know, they they can't outrace the U.S. center backs Like, they they, they couldn't. It, the U.S. had the advantage. And then, and then what happened? You know, they didn't anymore. Honduras scored a goal yeah. and it was like, you know, the oh crap moment. They were like a
1: million... There were like a million defensive errors in that play. Yeah, it was just... Like it was like half the team.
2: It was yeah. just very clear, Sam, from like, I don't know, seven minutes in and after, that the U.S. was going to have to make some major changes at halftime,
1: Or maybe even before. You know, for a moment there, we were talking about this on the bus back from the stadium after the game. For a moment there, we th- we both thought DeAndre Yedlin was coming into the game in the 30th minute. Uh, turned out he was just calling him over to from warming up to, to sit back down again. Um, but it sort of felt like a game where we might see a first half change. It was that poor of a start. And to me, Paul, there was a big emotional aspect to this, right? Like, I think we talked about it before the game. I think I mentioned it in a Q and a or a radio interview that I did, or I don't know. I mentioned it somewhere, (laughs) but basically what I was looking for mainly after the Canada draw or the Canada loss, (laughs) the Canada draw that felt like a loss, um, and after the Weston McKinney situation, uh, that I was looking for how the team was going to sp- respond emotionally. Right. And then you have Burhalter, who I think it's fair to say, hasn't always done a great job of marrying personnel with game plan, have the biggest gap between personnel and game plan. I can remember under his tenure and you get blitzed and then top it off with the fact, and this is something Burhalter mentioned in his press conference, they they just weren't up for it from an intensity standpoint. They were basically out 40% to 60% in the first half from Honduras. So it wasn't just tactics, right? Part of it was they, they weren't trying as hard as Honduras was. And that was a major issue. They weren't competing as hard. Um, and so it was, you know, from the emotional side of things, I'm thinking when this game goes into halftime, it, like... I I wasn't really thinking it was gonna get much better. Like I thought they would make changes, but I was like, these guys feel like they're toast tonight. And if you're toast tonight, there would have been there would have been a serious meltdown. And yeah. maybe that was a bit hasty, but no. there would have been a serious meltdown. I mean
2: I agree and I disagree. I, I, I had an idea of some changes I would have done at halftime that I thought could have fixed fixed things. They weren't exactly what Burhalter did.
1: No, we, I think we both were thinking the same thing.
2: Yeah, and, and he actually went with different changes. I would have moved Sands, I would have taken Sands out. I thought he was, I mean, you want to talk about not trying hard. I don't think it was not trying hard. I think that he he kind of mixed up the idea of kind of being calm and and um to to play at kind of his own pace or whatever. And he was just getting overwhelmed. Yeah. He was just getting run, They were running circles around him. He looked like he was like completely in the wrong place, <laughs> like that he wasn't. Fit for this international well, I, I level. I mean, I think that's he's not, not what it the was.
1: most. He's not the most mobile guy. No, he's and... not. But
2: you know what? He was doing that on purpose. I, I really think, and there were moments where he just was like thinking, "I'm going to calm this game down." And in fact, the game it it was it was out of your hands, buddy. You're not calming anything down. You got to get yourself in some good spots defensively. You've got to be aware of the people around you. Anyways, I would have pulled him. I had I had some ideas. I thought that would have fixed it. When I saw the trio that was coming in at halftime. I said to myself, okay, maybe I can figure things out. And then we saw they went back to the 4-3-3. We saw Adams still right back. And you and I both kind of looked Mm -hmm. at each other like, is this going to be enough? I don't know.
1: Hey, everybody. Joe Lowry here. Before I let Paul and Sam continue their discussion of the USMNT's 4-1 win over Honduras, I wanted us all to take a quick break to hear from today's wonderful sponsors.
0: Yes. So just to
1: back it up for a second, for anyone that needs a refresh, because I'm most, guessing most of the people that listen to this game, or listening to the show, watch the game. But at half, Brendan Aronson came in, Sebastian LeJet came in, and Anthony Robinson came in. Anthony Robinson came in for Bellow. That was left back for left back. Pretty straight swap. Aronson came in for Josh Sargent. That was right winger for right winger. Again, pretty straight swap. Uh, The third change, which was legit for Brooks, was not a straight swap. That was where the formation change came in. So you're taking out a center back and a new center back pairing of Miles Robinson and Mark McKenzie. You shift to a four with Robinson on the left, Adams on the right, and you put three in the midfield with, with Sands and Legette and Kellen Acosta. So that just, just to give that background. Sorry to interrupt, Paul.
2: Yeah, and so I just, I you know, look, I, I felt like, I felt like the changes could make the impact to change to to alter the game. I didn't think it would go the way it did. I didn't think it would be that drastic.
1: Now no, Honduras made some changes too.
2: That was maybe the most shocking part. I honestly, yeah. when I look down and I, I, if you look, I'm like in a mad tweeting spree at this point because I'm I'm <laughs> trying to keep up with what is Berhalter thinking, and I tweet about who's warming up, who's warming up harder. Brendan Aronson was wearing his jersey. The other guys weren't. So I was thinking maybe Aronson comes in at halftime. The other two guys a little later. I'm like, why wouldn't you? You need to do something drastic. You might as well. Then all three, the other two guys get called over to get their jerseys on. Okay. We're making triple subs. Who are they subbing? I'm like tweeting through this. And then all of a sudden I look down and Honduras is making yeah. three changes too. I'm like, what the heck is going on? That why? didn't
1: like we didn't really think about it in the moment because we were so focused on the US, but like, you just blitzed them completely over random. You should have been up by more than one. They didn't really have a ton of chances, but like just given the balance of the game and the way things played out, they should have had more chances and they probably should have had another goal. And you're making three changes. I don't, it was bizarre.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand. Anytime you have, you have control of a game, you shouldn't be making changes. And you want to talk about overthinking it. That's overthinking it. Like, I felt like that was a manager trying to anticipate what Greg Berhalter was going to do. You know, because it's not a secret when you have three guys warming up at halftime. You know, the the staff will see who's warming up. Then they come tell the coach. And then, the, like, that's what I felt happened. And instead, he should have been thinking to himself, how do we continue to do what we do? And when he changed, when they changed from a four four two to a three-man back line, that really opened up a lot of space for the U.S. And it didn't take long. We were what four or five minutes into the second half when Anthony Robinson scored.
1: Only three, in fact. There you go, right? And and, and you, saw, you saw you saw it immediately, right? lejet I thought made a really big difference, and not just Leget, but the fact that there were three men in midfield that helped Sands a ton. I like James Sands; he's a good player. We mentioned it already. I don't think he's super mobile, right? So if you're going to play him in a central midfield, you you kind of need two other guys in there. And if you can do that, you can simplify his role. You can make him better. Um, the intensity was increased. The back line was more in tune um, with wind step, right? The spaces got condensed. Those huge gaps that we'd seen in the first half disappeared, like immediately. Um, Christian Pulisic was playing fantastic to start the second half. Some of his best minutes for the U.S. in quite some time. Unless I'm unless I'm not remembering something. I mean, that I feel like that's the best we've seen play internationally in a while.
2: Much more active, much more involved, much more aggressive. And in the first half, he was trying too, but he was alone. I mean, that in the first half, we should go back to that. There was a there were a lot of moments where the US would pick up the ball and they were attacking with just three players, just three. And then Honduras would win the ball, and it was like it was like it felt like
1: the US was defending with three players. It was such a weird, weird. It was so weird. Like, and that I think was just kind of the fact that the two midfielders were always chasing, right? Whether the U.S. had the ball, they were chasing to try and catch up and then the U.S. would turn it over and they would have to chase to get, try and get back in defensive position. Um, And, you know, Berhalter, I don't think you mentioned this, but one of his comments as well was the wing backs weren't releasing quickly enough in the first half. And I think that contributed to that phenomenon as well. Um, But yeah, Pulisic was really good. In the second half, he had to come out with an injury, unfortunately. About, I think that was about 20 minutes in. Uh, but he, oh, so many of the good moments that we saw early in the second half, including on the first goal, came when a ball was played into somebody's feet high up the field and Pulisic was connected with them. And he would kind of drop deep, turn around, and essentially circle around <laughs> and pick up a layoff at full sp- with a full head of steam and drive forward. And on the goal he was able to do that, and the ball eventually made its way out wide to the jet, who put in who put in a cross, uh, nearly picked out Pepe. He couldn't quite connect, but it sort of squirted out to Robinson, who talking about fullbacks getting forward and releasing quickly, was ten yards from goal. Maybe not even. Right? He was way up the field. And he side footed it home. Really nice finish. I didn't even realize Paul when this happened live because <laughs> there was so much chaos all around us at the stadium. I didn't, I didn't realize he did a backflip celebration. With yeah. That
2: I, I didn't, I saw him coming down from it, but I thought like it was one of those normal, like handspring celebrations or something like that. I, I, I didn't know until I saw it on Twitter later. I totally missed the celebration. I was well, like, to give some context to like the atmosphere is wonderful. Yeah. I loved the stadium. Um, but there was no there was no game clock in the stadium, and so no game clock. so um our our friend Michele
1: forget about forget about monitors or a jumbotron to watch a replay of a goal absolutely not right. They're there's not no
2: replay. Clock. There's no TVs. There's no any of that. And so Michele Gianone from Univision, he had started his um phone uh clock stopwatch when the game kicked off, and so anytime anything happened to the game. I would look like over Sam's computer to Michele's phone <laughs> to write down the minute that it happened. So I the, think,
1: I think at one point you were taking notes on the Honduras goal and the crowd is erupting and everyone's freaking out and it's so loud. And I just screamed at you. I was like, 27th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I think that happened multiple times in the first and second half, Sam. I think every time you saw me, like, lift my shoulders and head to look over you to see what michelle's phone said you'd shout the minute at me. <laughs> um especially in the second half when you were i think concerned about my math because we were at like you know one hour yeah. 20 minutes once and you were you, like once you get past once you get past
1: the hour mark you gotta start doing some addition and,
2: ma- and you don't trust my math we talked about my math skills you know uh, should at some I? point in nashville or something i don't know <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> um but yeah so i missed the backflip completely um, but man, it was just such a different U.S. team. It was just such a different U.S. energy felt different. The, the dynamic in the midfield, especially and LeJet immediately gave them an option. So much better from LeJet Canada. He was so, 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 Incredible. so bad. He was such a, yeah. he was a difference maker in this game. And, and when, when we so all him about it, he kind Canada. of talked about how he played in a kind of lower position against Canada. And he likes to get into the box and be more aggressive. And he felt like when he came into this game, that's what he was being asked to do. And man, did he look so much better! I thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Pepe was great. Anthony Robinson brought a lot. I need to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should eat Crow. He was bad for a while for the U.S. And I, yeah,
1: yep. I felt like I he was bad,
2: and I put him in like a low tier in my tiered rankings after the summer tournaments, and I got. Crushed by people, and I was like, "I'm sorry," but he just has not been good when he plays for the national team. He's definitely like a tier three or tier four. He's not guaranteed a spot, whatever. But he was awesome. He was great. He was good against
1: Canada too. He was
2: great in this window. He was great in this window, mm-hmm. and I, I think he's. I mean, I think he's now the go-to start. I tell you what, he was better than Serginho Dest was.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> no question, and he doesn't blow up your entire structure either. When when he's on the field.
2: So, So. yeah, I mean, it was just a totally different energy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to spend a little time talking about Pepe. Speaking of totally different energies and guys claiming positions. 18 years old. He's got 12 goals in MLS with FC Dallas this year. His first ever call-up. And as part of this call-up, he's, like, committed to the U.S. uh, Dual national, he represented both the U.S. and Mexico on the youth national team levels. He gets called and he doesn't play the first two games. Jordan Pifok and Josh Sargent really struggle at striker. I think it's fair to say neither of them really did much of anything in their starting opportunities. And Pepe, he didn't have a great first half. He wasn't terrible or anything, but much like the rest of the team, he he was kind of you know below average for his own standards, I would say. But the second half, you know, Paul, I think we were talking about um, right before the first goal. I think we were talking about ah, uh, Pepe's got to win a ball in the air, right? And he was struggling. Honduras had some big center backs. Minor, Figueroa, he's a beast back there. And Pepe is tall, but he's not fully developed yet. He's just a kid still. And that goal, he did a great job of holding up the play and, and getting that move started, like a really good job. Um, and then you saw the header to for the game winner in I think the 76th minute. Um, just kind of textbook. Got on the end of a really nice cross from DeAndre Yedlin and just headed it sort of back where it came a little bit. Put it inside the near post across the body of the Honduras keeper. Um, Excellent header. Uh, And then he got himself an assist too um, on Aronson's goal in the 86th to kind of put it away. He was technically credited with two assists, but the first one we don't like to speak about on the show because it's a joke that it was credited as an assist. <laughs> um, he was credited as an assist on the Robinson goal, even though he was trying to shoot and just kind of missed.
2: Hey, man, Julian Green was trying to shoot and just kind of missed and scored a goal girl- goal in the World Cup. So
1: you know, well, all right, that's fine. If if Pepe scored a goal on that, then he would have gotten a goal, and that would have counted in well, the stat he book. He got an assist. He they shouldn't be. He shouldn't be given an assist. I don't know what to tell you. Um, anyway, he was awesome and he was much better than PFAC or Sargent were in their opportunities, in my opinion, um, both with his finishing and in the run of play. Um, we've talked on this show about GSC's artists and how he's still, you know, the best striker for the USMNT. And I think Pepe is now right there in that discussion, right? I think those are probably my top two at this moment in time that can change a lot, but we've been waiting for somebody, Paul, to come up and, and stake a claim. For the spot, and no one had done it. And in his first opportunity in a really difficult environment, as an eighteen-year-old in his first cap, he was great. And that's awesome.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, anyone who has a good performance wearing a U.S. jersey who plays the number nine is immediately in the top two of the depth chart. Like immediately.
1: I mean, basically, if you score goals, if you score like two goals in a row for your club, you're like, call him up. Like Geraldine like,
2: banging a couple goals against Martinique. I was like. This guy can never leave the field. He <laughs> <You> cannot <laughs> leave the field. And now I'm like, Ricardo Pepe, you were awesome in the second half when the entire team was awesome. You are the starter yeah. for the remainder of World Cup qualifying.
1: I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna go remainder of World Cup qualifying, but he's in the pole position for no, that I first mean, game of in October.
2: Look, you, you've got Jossie Zardes. you You've got Ricardo Pepe. Two options now that I think. You have one guy who's a veteran and I think Zarez should come right back into this team and, you know, probably right back into the lineup to be honest, because we learned one thing about this team is they need some veteran leadership. They need some veterans on the field to provide a little bit of balance to the youth. They need some veterans in camp, certainly to provide a little balance to yes. the youth. And I think we know now from these triple game windows that you cannot count on one guy to start all three games up top. You cannot count on one guy to start all three games in a window in general. Credit to the guys who did it in this window Miles Robinson, Tyler Adams, um, for the U.S., but.
1: Matt Turner as well.
2: well slightly different, though. He doesn't count. I'm sorry. Goalkeepers, get out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Pepe's there. And I, I do want to add, Sam, because I'm kind of laughing every time you talk and I'm trying to, like, be careful too. Like Sam mentioned, it's three in the morning now here in San Pedro Sula. In our hotel, it's nice, but the walls are thin. So both Sam and I are trying to control the volume <laughs> of our voice. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, Sam, but I can hear my neighbor snoring. So I know he can probably hear me talking to you. Really?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I have an adjoining room. I haven't heard anything from over there. So I don't know. Maybe Lucky. my walls are thicker. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. No,
2: I'm just trying to be a good neighbor. Um, but it does sound uh, like one of thanks. those what are they Congrats, called? Paul. Like A like what are those I'm videos called? Like ASDR? Is that what they're called? No. ASMR. ASMR.
1: It's a little should, bit Should like we make this an ASMR podcast? No, we shouldn't. I not. just wanted to I wanted to touch on one thing that you just said about leadership. And yes, I think in a lot of ways the US was immature in the first two and a half games of this window. Um I thought it was obviously the West McKinney situation, not a great deal of maturity in that. Um, but I do think that this game will be something of a turning point from the, for the team from an emotional and mentality standpoint. Right, they went down to El Salvador, they didn't play great. It was a tough environment. Came home against Canada, were poor, right? Poor at home and drew a tough team in Canada. I think we know that now. That Canada's for real. Um, and then they came down to Honduras and they were getting the brake speed off them over the first 45 minutes, but they responded after all of the drama of the last week, they responded. And when the chips were down, when their backs were against the wall, they came out and put in a really like emphatic performance in the second half and you win four to one. Right. And all of a sudden the vibes that looked so bad, For those first 45 minutes where I'm freaking out at halftime and I'm like, yo, is this team going to quit on Greg Berhalter? Like, are they going to stay together? Well, yeah, they stayed together. And now they know what it's like, right? And now they know that they can survive. And not just survive, but thrive, right? And that was crucial. And I just want to read a quote real quick from Berhalter. And I put this in the story that I wrote for The Athletic that is up now for all of those people that are still awake at... 5 a.m. Eastern time or whatever it is right now. And it's, I think we needed to get these guys this experience. They needed to see what these games are like because they're completely different. Both the El Salvador and the Honduras games, they're wars. You have teams and countries that are desperate to get wins to get to the World Cup, and it's a different animal than what we're used to. So I think this whole window was great for the group. We really needed it in terms of the eye-opening of what this experience actually is. To cap it off with a win was important for the standings. And to come back in the way that we did... You know, the U.S. doesn't come back after giving up a goal too often, but the guys showed their resiliency, showed it like we've shown it many times before. And Paul, I think that's a good spot for us to take a break and come back and talk more about what we
0: thought of this whole window and what comes next. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
3: So get Timeless Looks with Modern Comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we are back. Last
1: call here in Honduras. Uh, USMT coming off a huge 4-1 win. In San Pedro Sula, um, to cap the window, we mentioned it, five points through three games. They're in a three-way tie for second with Canada and Panama. Um, good position behind only Mexico, who has seven points. Paul, let's let's zoom out a little bit, and let's take a look at this window as a whole. What stood out to you from a, from a team perspective for the U.S.?
2: I think what stood out to me was the youth of this team. Again, I think this, we, we've learned that this is going to be inconsistent that we're not going to see a kind of a, well, maybe we'll see linear progress. Probably not, though. There are going to be ups and downs in this team.
1: It's rarely linear. Good, yeah. good
2: performances, bad performances, mo- learning moments, you know, people who are going to go through like, actual, like, learning experiences in World Cup qualifiers. And this is the youngest team to ever play in a World Cup qualifier for the U.S. And Greg Berhalter said after the game that he felt like it was a team that's three or four years younger than the typical team you have in World Cup qualifying. So, yeah, I, that's I, factual. I feel like I learned about that yeah. with this U.S. team. Um, I did want to point out one thing, and I know we're going to go into some quickly about some individuals, but I do want to note that I thought it was, like, You know, Christian Pulisic, you said, was very good in the second half. I also thought there was a real leadership moment from him when he got hurt. You know, he came off and he was trying to walk it off and he looked like he was in a lot of pain. And he tried to run two, three, four times. He couldn't really do it. And he turned to Berhalter and he started walking towards the bench. He walked onto the track. He said something else to Berhalter. Then he turned back and went back onto the grass, ran a couple more times and then decided – And then gave a nod to the doctor and went back onto the field. And he played for like another two or three minutes. And then the moment came where he had to run to get to a pass. Luckily, the Honduran player stopped and didn't take him out. And in fact, the fans wanted him to. The fans recognized that if he got stuck in, that was the end of Christian. And not in a way of like, I want to hurt him. But in a way of all you need to do is make a tackle and he's going to realize he can't play. And instead he Mm -hmm. passed and he had already, he he went down at that point. But I thought that was a real moment of leadership from Christian. And Christian is not a vocal guy. And so there have he has to do it that way. He has to say, Mm -hmm. the stakes are big. I'm trying to play through a lot of pain right now. And it sends a message to the guys. And so that, that stood out to me too. 100%.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And I thought it was kind of interesting when he came off, you know, Berhalter went to check on him because it happened that play paul just described happened right in front of the u.s bench he's literally like basically on the sideline and so berhalter went over to him when he was on the ground and he's checking on him and he he gets up and berhalter's walking with him back to the bench and christian rolled is set to come on and pulisic makes a point actually i don't know if you noticed this paul berhalter's like basically holding his hand (laughs) and he's just headed back to the bench and Pulisic is like, no, let's let's take a detour. We're going over here so I can slap hands with Roldan and welcome him into the game. And I thought that was, I mean, it's a small moment, but just to sort of add on to what you just said about leadership, I thought that kind of stood out to me um, as well. Um, speaking of individuals that stood out, who else stood out to you in a good way and a bad way from from this camp? Yeah, I mean,
2: I thought Anthony Robinson was really good in this camp. Mm -hmm. I thought he was one of the best performers for the U.S. team uh, over the course of the entire thing. Brendan Aronson, not a great first game, very good in the second two games. I think he's a really important player for this U.S. team. And, you know, I'll go back to Miles Robinson. I thought Miles Robinson Mm -hmm. and Matt Turner, both very good throughout the window. And then lastly, lastly, I'm going to give props to Sebastian Leject. He was super bad against Canada. I criticized him a lot. We pulled his passing map for one of our notebooks because it was so bad. And he was fantastic tonight. And so I'm going to give him props for that too. How about you, Sam?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think all of those guys stood out to me in positive ways. I mean, I wouldn't say LeJet was like overwhelming in terms of his overall contributions to the window because the first game was pretty bad. Um, all of those guys were good. Obviously, Pepe, right? That stood out for sure. Yeah. Of course. Um, I, I wanted to leave that open know. for you. Yeah, appreciate that. Um we talked about him already. I thought Adams was mostly solid um in the, in the camp. Sure. You know, I would have For liked sure. to see a little bit more from him um in possession in the first two games and playing progressively. Um but it's so it's so fun to watch that guy cover ground like in in person especially. Like he just eats it up. It's incredible. Um who else? Yeah, that's about it, I think. Am I missing anybody? No,
2: I think that's it. I mean, considering they finished okay. with five points and we just named like seven guys, I think we're good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing um, wrong with and five then points, I j-
2: honestly. I actually don't think – I mean, I know we just went – I, I no. don't think five points in the first window, two games on the road, a game at home against Canada. I actually think five points is perfectly fine now. 100%. You got to take care of business in October.
1: Yeah. I wanted to – I did want to go the other way on a few guys. Um, that maybe were a little bit short of expectations. John Brooks is on that list, big time. Um, he was subbed out at half tonight. He looked uh, stuck in the mud. I think is how I would describe it in the Canada game and and in Hunter. Hondur- it, it was just slow. Yeah, I mean, like I everything think, was just slow with him. I think John
2: Brooks against tonight against Honduras, he hasn't really been a great performer on the road in Concacaf. I, I he still wasn't think, good. At,
1: he wasn't good the other night. I really, I think either, he's though. an
2: important player for the U.S. I think he's an important player for the U.S., especially I when agree. you play European teams. Um, and I think he's a leader with the group. You know, and I mean, not like a leader like outspoken. I think that I honestly I've talked to some people who feel like he's, you know, there are moments where he kind of keeps to himself. He, um, you know, he's not again. He's not loud. He's not really you know, that type of guy, but that he kind of just has a typically a desire that transmits to people around him um, on the field. And I, I do think he struggled with that specifically in the candidate game. Like, I thought that's what was lacking from him. That typical energy you see from him. He looked slow mm-hmm. to react. He looked slow yeah. to understand positioning and he just kind of looked was stuck
1: in the mud. Um, he was stuck yeah, in the
2: mud. It was almost to the point of disinterest, which is kind of the opposite yeah. of what it I think weird. of with John Brooks. So he's going to need to rebound for sure. You know, I think. Um Yeah. I, no doubt. I, you know, I don't want to go too much into some of the younger guys that I saw I thought struggled because I think it's a little bit unfair to them. Yeah. Um, I agree. But I think John Brooks is definitely fair game as somebody who who's going to have to be better going forward for the US. They need him to perform yeah. well.
1: And and I know you just mentioned you don't want to go after too much of the younger guys. Um I'll say that Josh Sargent needs to be better too. He's a guy that has a lot of experience with the US now and it's just not it's not going well. Yeah, it's, like, you know, he hasn't
2: he hasn't done enough. He hasn't done enough in that position to warrant being higher in the depth chart. And and like let's be real. Like these are professionals. We can talk about like James Sands was not good tonight. George Bellow to me he didn't do enough. To, I thought
1: James Spence... I thought he did respond okay. He, he in the responded
2: second half. okay in the second half, but it wasn't. It wasn't a good performance. In the it first wasn't half. great. You know, and George Bello, like he was okay. He didn't really add a ton in the first half. I mean, we can go he down got, the list. He like got, that.
1: Yeah, he got caught napping on the goal. Too.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, there are some places where I think the U.S. can upgrade, but. There are players waiting to do to to jump back into this team. Eunice Musa is going to be getting healthy. 100%. Um, Man,
1: we haven't talked about him at all. Yeah. I thought he I was mean, such a big miss.
2: Yeah, of course. He can carry the ball forward. He can break those lines. If a team's sitting deep and he's running at you with the ball, it causes some real issues. I think they were missing that. Matthew Hoppy on the wing, I think, will add something. Mm-hmm. They were definitely missing him and his attitude in this camp. You know, I think he's a player who could be involved. Um, Joe Scally, if he keeps playing for Gladbach, we saw, you know, what a couple injuries can do at the right back position. And I think he'll get a chance if he continues to play. So it'll be interesting to see who is in yeah. camp in October. That, that to me is intriguing. Yeah.
1: For sure. And, you know, it's worth mentioning too, Paul, that some of those young guys that maybe didn't look their best in this window, the cool thing about being young is that you're still developing as a player. They can improve. They can become more consistent. They can be right back in the picture. You mentioned the October window. Um, Three games again in that one. First one is against Jamaica in Austin. Jamaica is off to a tough start in qualifying. Uh, Second one is down in Panama at Panama. Um, And the third one is back in the U.S. in Columbus. It's not Mexico. Paul, it's it's your boys. It's the Ticos, Costa Rica. Um, what should we expect? Obviously, there's a month before those games. Not even actually, I think it's four weeks from today is the first one, which is crazy. Um, what should we expect from that window?
2: I think I look at it and say you want to get six points, and anything more is great. Seven points would be really nice. We saw tonight mm-hmm. Mexico won t- um, or or what did Mexico? drew with Panama in Panama, so it's not an easy. As much as it's an easier quote unquote place to go, it's not super easy. And I do think this was a really tough window the way it's set up for the U.S. to start on the road, then mm-hmm. come home and then go back on the road. And they actually started in the U.S. for a couple of days of camp, then flew to El Salvador, then flew back to Kansas City, then played in Kansas City, then flew to Honduras. It wasn't an easy window. It was a lot. Of, it was a lot of travel. You're going to want to do, you're going to want to really take advantage of the home games, but it's not easy to get a result anywhere in CONCACAF. I like, The idea of anywhere within six to nine points is fine. Look, if you, if you get seven points out of the window in October, you have 12 points through six games. You're averaging two points per game. Yeah, that's not too, that's not too shabby.
1: No, that's great. That's great. Even if you get six, you're almost at two points per game. I
2: I hesitate, Sam, and I don't know how you feel about this. I hesitate to say the expectation should be nine points. I think we've learned enough about hunk cap on the road to not
1: say that. <laughs> I, think, I think the players in Berhalter will also be hesitating to say that. <laughs> yeah, I forward. don't think we should say it. I think they learned their lesson this time. They, Berhalter said some things. He was like, you know, it's good that we wanted nine points, but maybe we shouldn't have said that. Um, I think the minimum has to be six from the next window. You should win both of those home games, in my opinion. And then, like you said, if you get anything on the road, that's a bonus. Um, the cool thing is, Paul, the result tonight It means that six is totally cool and it leaves you in a good position. Whereas if you lost tonight, which it looked like it was going to happen for a solid 45 minutes there, then only six in the next one still leaves you a little bit dicey. Um, So that's just kind of the importance of of this win tonight. And I think that really needs to be driven home. Uh, But yeah, I think overall the US, uh, U.S. is in a good spot, which is a crazy thing to say considering where that game was at halftime. Yeah, I
2: definitely – I mean, it was uh, – people giving me a hard time for calling it a must-win game. It was a must-win game when you pull back and look at the big picture. It took a lot of pressure off of a team where the pressure was building and building and building and building and building. And, you know, Greg Burhalter will push back on the idea that it was a must-win game. But if you start to do the math, <laughs> if you come out of October with eight points, if eight yeah. points through six games – I, I really think that you're feeling shaky. And I think that the pressure... You're, fe- was you're feeling shaky, really, but really, that's not a really, really, must really, win. It, I don't know. Crazy. I just feel like it was such an important difference to be at five points in second place versus mm-hmm. two points in sixth or seventh place.
1: That's a lot. I think three would have three points would have been okay. But um, yes, I do agree with you. It is a massive difference. It's a massive mental difference. They are going into, go into the next camp in a much, 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 much more relaxed mood. And that typically leads to good things. So I think that's important. Anyway, anything else to add, Paul, from this window?
2: No, I'm ready to go home and see my kids. Yeah. And I'm, I, you know, it is crazy the way that this works is that, like you said, we're just a few weeks away from, from doing this all over again. Another three games in seven days for the U.S. uh, And it's going to, you know, that just shows. I mean, look at the attrition in this window. No geo. Weston suspended. Nozak, Stefan, Serginia Desk gets hurt. Tim Wea. Christian Polisic gets hurt. Tim Way is hurt at the club. So you know, that's I think indicative of, of the grind. And I, I wouldn't actually I want to say before we sign off, I would not be surprised to see Greg Berhalter call twenty eight instead of twenty six <laughs> after the way
1: this happens. Neither would I. Um Well, this has been fun, man. It was a wild first window. I'm tired. I'm gonna go to sleep. Uh Paul. We'll be back next week, I guess, talking about something else. We will. And Probably not national We'll be later. back
2: to being loud and annoying, but, yeah. you know, now well, it's time to grab I'm not a sure I ever solid two and a half hours of sleep and head to the airport. Yeah.
1: All right. I'll see you in Austin, buddy. Good luck.